Hello, I'm Liz Jones. If you read my diary in the Mail on Sunday's You magazine, then you'll know me and my life pretty well. But if you've always wanted to know more, this is the place for you. Welcome to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast. I'll be taking you behind the scenes of this week's column before digging back into the archives to find some of the most shocking and hilarious stories from the last 20 years. I'll be doing all this with the help of my assistant, friend and confidant, Nick. Hello. So you're looking very tired, Miss Jones. I am tired. What have you been My feet hurt. My feet started to swell up. Oh dear. So on Wednesday, I queued to see the Queen lying in state. Oh. And I joined, I was in a taxi and all I said to the taxi was find the end of the queue. And he said, I knew someone was going to ask me that. And so he didn't know where it was and I didn't know where it was. And so he tweeted to 3,000 taxi drivers to tell us where the end... I said, it's like being in a Bond movie, isn't it? Find the end of the Find queue. The end of the, copy that, copy that. <laughs> so we found the end of the queue and he tipped me out. And then me being me, because you know I like to dot the I's and cross the T's, I got out and I found this group of three policemen. And I said, where's the end of the queue? Because I was by then I was by the Millennium Wheel, the London Eye. And this young policeman started to point. I said, don't point, take me there. So I had a police escort oh walking me to the end of the queue. I said, don't leave me, don't leave me. He took Only me you. to the end of the queue. Only you. Put me at the end of the queue. So I sat on the wall next to the Thames. And it was funny, about four hours later, the, I saw the same policeman. He said, you're right, you're still in the queue. So he was still there. He said, that's my policeman. <laughs> I have my own police guard. That's my escort. This is very Miranda Priestley. This is starting to be taken. Yeah, I had queue. my own policeman. So I got to the end of the queue and I sat down and I just happened to be next to this lovely girl called Sarah who'd come that day from Italy just to see the lying in state and then she was going home the next day. And by the end of the evening, we was we were going and getting each other drinks, swapping numbers. She took pictures of me. Oh. She was like my new best friend. Was she Italian or was she English? Well, she'd lived in Italy for 21 years, so she is English. But seeing the Queen die made her so homesick, she had to come. And there were lots oh. of women. I met a group of three women who were all sitting on a wall drinking Prosecco. It was a very festive atmosphere. And I said, do your husbands think you're mad? Come, Yeah, they, yeah, our husbands think we're mad, we're mad. There seemed to be slightly more women than men. Yeah. And they came, despite the fact their husbands said, you're ridiculous. They felt compelled to come. And then you see a little man in a suit on his own with some flowers, quite a few ex-army yeah, I think a lot of service people. Yeah, a lot really of service people. There, yeah. um, but the atmosphere was lovely, and I I would talk to a group of people, and I say, "Are you all together?" And they said, "No, but we are now." So everyone was making friends, and yeah. they save your place, and the policemen were cheerful. And when we went past St Thomas's, you go past the memorial wall for COVID, and all the nurses are having their break, just watching us walk past. Aww. 
It was absolutely fantastic. I have to say, it's looked fantastic on the telly. I mean, I've been watching it on, on the telly, um, trying to get a glimpse to see if you were there. And it's looked like people have really come together and really sort of like bonded over this. Yeah, we didn't need the armbands because no one pushed in. No. If you had to go and... So I had to keep going and getting Sarah gin and tonic. You come back, <laughs> she'd just save your place. And then... One man, he went to Marks and Spencer's and got everyone tins of gin and tonic. That's so really he missed nice. the armband and he came back and they said, oh, no, it's all right. You were getting gin and tonics, you know, don't worry. It was so nice. So it yeah. didn't take 30 hours. What was so ridiculous was like a piece in the Telegraph saying, oh, Esther Ranson's worried because Older people are going to be suffering. It, it, there's going to be deaths, people collapsing. Absolute bollocks. So I met this woman next to me who was in front of me called Eileen. And she was 80. She got the train from Dorset. She was going back to Dorset as soon as she'd seen the Queen. Oh, go Eileen. And she bought her own jam sandwiches from jam she'd made. And she made the sandwiches herself. Oh. No going to Pret-a-Manger. Oh. She brought, one man brought a stew. He bought his own stew. That's fantastic. Isn't but it? jam sandwiches were the Queen's favourite, weren't they? They were like well, she, penny, penny She had her jam sandwiches them. and she said, it's nonsense, I'm 80, I'm coping with it perfectly well, you know. Yeah, it's all this health and safety gone mad. So I think yeah. it did put quite a few people off. But then we got to cross over the Lambeth Bridge and what was so lovely, the bridge was all lit purple to commemorate oh, the Queen. God, and there was various moments where it, you just it just caught in your throat the emotion. It was seeing the purple as it got dark. Yeah. Everything beautiful. was lit up purple. And then you got to you did a sort of zigzag once you're in the gardens. I think they are the Jubilee Gardens before Westminster Hall. And there were lots of sort of soldiers and policemen with guns and everything but everyone was so cheerful and so nice and so friendly no it made me want to be a part but watching it on tv made me really want to be i mean it it made me miss home so much you know it made me miss london to the point it hurt you know because that's like my home you know wherever i am and where i am is beautiful but london is in my yeah. blood and nobody does it like us, do they? No, the it ceremony. made you quite proud. And it was quite nice to be to be part of it. Yeah. Because you might be caught in a picture that someone sees in two and Joel, do you remember when they queued in London yeah. for the funeral? And so you got to the to the hall, which is the oldest part of Westminster, and you had to turn your phone off, you had to give in your your lip gloss and stuff. So I said to the man, the big security man with the gun at Westminster, I said, can I keep my tweezers? <laughs> I was the only person who took tweezers. Why? 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 Because it was overnight, wasn't it? Oh, you don't know what will happen. Oh, God. <laughs> no, you can keep your tweezers, he said. And then you go in and it's hush. Yeah. And you walk into this beautiful space and you walk down the steps. And then there was a changing of the guard because they only stand there for about 20 minutes. Yeah. They're holding these really heavy swords. How how they stand there holding them, no. I don't know. It must be so painful. And as you walk past, you sort of think, I can't believe she's inside that. No. I've thought that every time I've seen a drive-through or I've just thought, I cannot believe the Queen's in that box. No. It's just, it's, it, I mean... She was 96. She's had a fantastic life. 
it's it's not a tragedy in the same way that little girl. I mean, we mustn't forget there's bereavements everywhere else around around. You know, that that little girl that died there was yeah. a funeral yesterday. Heartbreaking. It's not a tragedy, but it is incredibly sad because she was so like a fabric of of, of us, wasn't she? Yeah. And you never saw footage of the Queen in a temper because no. the, the inkwell was in the wrong place. No, no, you no. never, ever saw that. No. I do think, though, we need to give him a bit of a break, though. I mean, his mum's just died. He's travelled all over the country a hundred times. I think he's just having a little tantrum because he's tired. But I love the way Camilla just ignores him and just gets on with stuff. She's not an enabler, is she? She just she no. doesn't escalate things. That's what I like about her, actually. She's... She, I think she's conducted herself with so much dignity. And, I mean, she must be exhausted as well. I mean, she's travelling all around, you know, everywhere with him. And I'm Can you getting... imagine starting a new job in your mid-70s? And your mum's just died. I mean, that's... I mean, literally, from, from day one, it's off off you go, isn't it? And I've, I'm getting a bit sick of hearing, like, oh, Diana should be queen. I'm not recognising Camilla as the queen. It's his wife. That was, like, 30-odd years ago. Get over it. You know, do you know what I mean? She's actually doing a good job. She's being really dignified and supporting. And people were, cri- people were criticising Meghan and Harry for holding hands, but so what? Well, so did Zara Tind- uh, Mark yeah. Tindall. Yeah. wasn't just them. I don't know why Kate and William aren't more touchy-feely, actually. They, they're quite sort of separate. I think, yeah, I think they're very traditional, aren't they? They're sort of, I mean, I suppose they're, the ne- they're going to be the next monarchs. I suppose they're towing that line that that's... That's a private bit of their life, and this is oh, when they're on duty. Yeah. I mean, I know when they were doing the walkabout, and, and again, you know, this this business, oh, it's a reconciliation, they're doing the walkabout together. They've got to do the walkabout together. They've got to, because otherwise, they go on one time, William and, and Kate go another time. All the press is just going to be, you know, there's a division between the brothers. They're going separately. It's going to overtake the fact that the Queen's yeah. done, which is what we need to be concentrating on, not worrying about Meghan and Harry and William and Kate being friends. That's not air business. Do you know what I mean? That's a family thing. That's not air business. Leave it alone at the minute. The Queen's died. Everyone's trying to pay tribute. The family are trying to go and look at, at, at the flowers. Now. They don't need all that on top of it. I think what was quite sweet from the crowd, that everyone felt involved yeah. and everyone knew everything. So, and, and everyone's been watching everything. They're just obsessed. Yeah. And I spoke to one woman and I said, oh, have you been watching it on the telly? And did you? Oh, she was from Scotland. And I said, didn't Scotland look beautiful on the telly? Beautiful. Um, and she said, yes. He said, when the Queen was in the RAF plane, she said, I went and had a bath. While she was in the plane, I went and had a bath. And they, so oh, they didn't want yeah. to miss a second. No, no, I've not wanted to miss it. I was actually picking the horse's feet out and grooming them the other day with it on the iPlayer on, on the window ledge of the Quincy, stable. Was Quincy watching? We were all watching it. We were all watching it. And Isn't it lovely seeing the horses taking oh, part? Oh, beautiful. I mean, they are beautiful. The only thing I didn't like, there was, there was the procession when the Queen was taken to St. Giles and one of the police horses was really quite stressed and, and upset and... Again, it just made me feel I love all the horses and, and they're they're amazing. But I really I'm not sure horses should now be mounted horses. I just uh, mounted officers now. It's not fair to put them in that position. It's a really stressful position for horses with cloud crowds going on. Well I was reading a piece about her and her horses. But for the funeral and stuff, they really try and pick horses yeah. who are quite 
quiet and sensible. Yeah. Like they wouldn't pick Swirly My Horse because no. she's not quiet and sensible. No. She'd go round and round in circles. The and other then she'd police horse was really relaxed and, 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 and beautiful. But this one I felt so, and I kept thinking, oh God, I hope he doesn't get colic or, oh God, you know, <laughs> get off and lead him and reassure him. And obviously they can't, can they? And, in that procession, I thought I thought that was beautiful, seeing the, the, all the children walking behind the coffin. But it really got on my nerves that they were heckling Prince Andrew. There was one thing, I think he was arrested for heckling Prince Andrew. Whatever your thoughts, it's not the time. If you don't like the royal family and don't go along, no, stay at home. And, and obviously there's all this big controversy about Andrew and stuff. But he's walking behind his mother's coffin, for God's sake. You know, and it's not fair on his siblings. It's not fair on the whole family that are grieving. It's not fair on the Queen. It's. I just thought, if, you know, yeah, all right, we've all got opinions about Andrew. But at the end of the day, pick your moment. Now's not the bloody time. Back no. off. Back off. Back off for Camilla. Just back off. I am sort of glad I did it and I got to walk past and I I was sort of watching what people were doing. Some people were curtsying, some people were bowing, some people were blowing yeah. kisses. Um, so I just sort of did a sort of, did you see how Liz Truss curtsies? It, it was a bit like two soups. Two soups? It was a bit two soups. Two soups. There's actually a meme on Twitter where yeah. she's doing it repeatedly. So I did a bit of a two soups curtsy. But all oh, my eyes were full of water as I left. Yeah. And you could see everyone was teary as we left. Yeah. And then you file out. Yeah, yeah. A different way. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I'm glad I did it. No, I, I must admit, I was watching it and I really did think I would love, you know, I was talking to Tina and we were both saying we really would have loved to have been a part of it. And neither of us are the sort of people that would want to go and queue for hours and do, you know, but for that I think I would have done, actually. Yeah. And I'm not particularly a royalist. But I still would have wanted to have been part of it. No, and I made a new friend, Sarah, so I'm going to go and see her in Venice. She lives near Venice. Marvellous. Marvellous. <laughs> also, this weekend is London Fashion Week. Yeah. So it hasn't really had any focus. Lots of things have been cancelled. Kate Moss's party's cancelled. Burberry cancelled their show, which would have been the big... Yeah. show that I probably wouldn't have been allowed in. But we have a fashion special in New Magazine this week. So my column is all about fashion. Do you want to hear it? I do. I will no doubt learn something. So it's called In Which I Look Back on My Life in Fashion. There's a very fetching illustration of you in combats on here, I have to say. They're in Maharishi combat. Oh, oh okay. Very fetching, very fetching. I've had a love-hate relationship with fashion since I was five. It was the era of the Beatles, pop art and psychedelia. So I sewed black and white stripes onto my brownie berry and I chose paisley needle cord in Bonds, which was a department store and it later became Debenhams, which my mum made into a mini dress and it had a long zip with a great big hoop on the zip. Belong zips oh, were very... I've seen them. Do you them. remember I, that? No, I don't remember them, but I've seen them, I've seen them in magazines, in old books. pictures. Yeah. I've seen them on Twiggy and stuff. I used to steal my mum's knitting patterns because they had Twiggy on the cover and I stuck them on my wall. I believed wearing nice clothes would make people like me and later love me. How wrong would I be? Having pored over every issue of Vogue since 1977, I landed a job on a fashion magazine in 1980, just in time to become obsessed with Diana's wardrobe. 
as I was a very lowly member of the team, I only wangled a ticket to one fashion show. That was Mulberry at the Hard Rock Cafe. It turned my head. I just thought the models were so beautiful. I thought the clothes were amazing. And so I saved up and I bought a grey silk blouson from Mulberry just behind Oxford Street. Do you remember how fashionable blousons were? I do remember. I, do. I quite like them, actually. I like, I like a nice billowy sleeve. I moved on to work at the Sunday Times in the mid-80s. And I also worked on the Sunday Times newspaper. And we had the solitary woman's page. It was one page of women's stuff. One. But mid-80s, there was still only one page of women's stuff. And it was called Look. Look. <laughs> I idolised the fashion editors. There was the Chanel-clad Mariel McCoy and the Buffalo Girl-clad Caroline Baker. We once had the bright idea of photographing that day's supermodels, Naomi Campbell at all, by squishing them on a photocopier. So we opened the photocopier, squished Naomi Campbell, put the lid on and photographed Naomi Campbell on it, and she was worried about radiation. <laughs> Despite getting into trouble by making Aussie Clark furious and having launch style, I was made editor of a glossy in the late 90s. There's the pale moon of my face, front row at Alexander McQueen's Voss show. McQueen was diverse before that word was fashionable. He put double amputee Amy Mullins on the catwalk, elegant on carved wooden legs. There I am again at Hussein Shalayan's Autumn 2000 collection when the model stepped into a coffee table and it transformed into a skirt. I strained my neck to gaze at fireworks on the lawns of Versailles after John Galliano's 60th anniversary show for Dior in 2007, when Giselle Bündchen emerged in a bar suit, and I had to pinch myself that a girl from Essex had even been allowed inside. I was amused by the largest paella in the world being stirred on the terrace, even though the people present were the least likely on the planet to eat it. Fashion did, though, skew my judgment. It made me believe... £350 for a normal Gucci shirt was reasonable. God, there it wouldn't be that now, would it? be more than that now. Yeah, but this is 20 years That's ago. That's what I mean. Can you, yeah. What on earth would it be now? There were humiliating moments. Being told by a fellow fashion editor I couldn't share her town car back to central Paris. But I'm in Louboutins, I wailed. <laughs> I was instructed by a PR who was about 12 to go and stand by a wall at Donna Karan. I was made to stand by a wall and look away. Right, okay. That's a bit much. I remember I once went to a launch in Soho, London, given by Victoria Beckham. She was collaborating with something. This is before she had her own label. And my instruction on going to the launch, and she was in the corner, you are not to look upon Victoria Beckham. I was told not to look at her. That's just a little bit ridiculous, isn't it? It's extremely ridiculous. Contrast that to the Queen, who even in her death had a light put in the hearse so people could yeah. see the coffin. Contrast and compare. Look at Twiggy. I've interviewed Twiggy so many times, and every time I see her, she cut hello, Liz, and gives me a hug. Yeah. That's class. Yeah, I don't yeah, care yeah. if she's from the East End. Telling me I couldn't look at, don't look at Victoria Beckham. It was in a townhouse in Soho. I remember she was in the corner. Don't look at her. Don't look at her. I've never heard anything so ridiculous. I know. That's like, that's, oh, that's so insulting. More low points as being thrown out of the Christopher Kane and Tom Ford shows. 
the, boy, the daring to voice dissent. I had a few fashion triumphs. In Milan, I interviewed the young Peter people for the escort treatment of animals protesters who had been dragged by their hair from the Burberry catwalk. That same week in Milan, I persuaded Roberto Cavalli, whose catwalk was also stormed, to admit it was, quote, the worst moment of my life. I made Philip Green so angry, he called me to ask to return his Topshop unique greatcoat. My husband later called me and my fashionista world vacuous, despite the fact I exposed child labour in garment factories in Dhaka and banned cadavers from my pages. As well as armour, fashion for me is an escape. No longer immersed in that world, privy to freebies, I do the following. I visit a dress online, choose my size and place it in my virtual basket and I let it just sit there and I imagine how my life will be if I could own it and it arrived. Yeah. I've been doing this for months with a pair of £375 Maharishi snow pants. I bought the very same pair in Liberty when I was made editor. I wore them all the time. I wore them on my honeymoon. Unlike me, they were so loved, they just disintegrated. I kidded myself that were I to own those trousers again, I could go back to being part of the cool crowd who migrated from Lake Como and dinner with Donatella before having tea with Sadie Frost at the Hotel Coste in Paris. I insisted on staying at the Coste Hotel for the couture shows and it's a hotel that's so dark I would emerge in the morning feeling the walls all the while looking like Stevie Wonder, because you just can't see where you're going. It's all just lit by candles. And I accidentally groped Victoria Beckham in reception. So you went from not being allowed to look in at her to groping her. (laughs) Just go for it. I own the snow pants again. I bought a pair in the sale. As the PR, when I asked to borrow them for a shoot, said snootily, can you tell me the narrative of the piece? Oh, dear. Needless to say, I remain unloved. I've got me trousers, but still no one loves me. You love your trousers, though. Yeah, and the dogs love me. The dogs love you. We all love you. Do you know what my moans are this week? What are your moans? Beauty companies that email. Generous doses of considered formulations are applied with thoughtful pressure. A letter of... (laughs) A letter of care to the skin and self. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Is that just slapping on a bit of cream? Yeah. Child? Yeah. Okay. Giving it a rub. Oh, what a lot of bollocks. <laughs> Haven't we gone from bollocks? We've gone from the Queen and my mum. All my mum had was some Pond's cold cream and she used to let her mascara wear off to applied with thoughtful pressure a letter of care to the skin. Yeah, I don't think I've ever applied the thoughtful pressure. I think I've just slapped on as I'm running out the door. You shouldn't drag the skin under your eyes. You shouldn't rub your eyes. It's actually. too late, in it? It's far too late And actually, I don't think you should touch your face at all. It's far too late for me. Way too late. It's gone. It's, it's hanging there. You can read this week's diary in full on Mail on Sunday's You magazine. You want to hear the review of the Dior show, the Orangerie? Yes, let's go to the archive. July 2007. Da, da, I was da. young then-ish. <laughs> the 
the dress code, extreme elegance, the venue, the spectacular orangerie at the Palace of Versailles, the occasion, the 60th birthday of the House of Dior, the price tag, more than £2 million. Those of us lucky enough to have been invited to the Couture Show and Ball on Monday night in Paris were witness to one of the most memorable occasions in recent fashion history. So you are invited nice places. I was, Yeah, that was before I then... I'd only really... I hadn't started exposing the terrors of fashion. That's why you're and still I, in favour. What is interesting about the show is that even though I'd interviewed Jean, Jean Galliano a few years before at his atelier in Paris, and I'd showed him a video that Peter had given me of a fox being skinned and his eyes oh. were blinking. Oh, God. And John Gagnano was like almost in tears. He said, I'm never going to use fur again. But then down the orangery came these models and it was like the first 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. Entire creatures on the models' heads, oh. fox tails, That's birds, revolting. feathers. It was kind of him saying... Oh, bugger that. I'm just going to go for it. Despite the fact he promised me he wasn't going to use fur anymore. That's. Just, I mean, it is literally revolting. If I, if anything like that even touches me, I feel sick. It's, I don't understand why when there's so many synthetic, you know. But that was... I just but, don't get it. So 2007, also, if you ignore Saving Private Ryan, all the supermodels were there. Amber, Karen, Shalom, Helena, Naomi, Stella, you know, my lovely friend Stella. It's like a George Michael Linda Evangelista, who was over 40 then. She's a lot older now. Still beautiful. And I end the piece by saying, Dior might sell only a handful of the hand-sewn bejeweled frocks at more than £100,000 a piece, but the show will shift gallons of scent and millions of handbags in the afterglow of a night that would have put Marie Antoinette to shame. Because, you know, I went to the room where she was committed to the guillotine. Yeah. I'm not sent anywhere glamorous anymore. I just have to queue by the Thames. That was quite... That was Yeah, but that was more down-to-earth, wasn't it? More grounding. You met, like, real people, not these these people. who aren't real people, are they? I think there were a few celebrities who walked past the Queen, but I think they were in a special fast queue. Sadiq Khan was in the fast queue. I was in the slow queue. You was in the real people's queue? Yeah. I've literally been so excited about this. I It's been in my diary for, like, months that this was coming out. Adam Kay's Undoctored. So what's the, what's the new book and how is it different from the first book? Um, well, his books take you through his career. So you've got this – is, this is – um, gonna hurt which is him being a, a junior doctor and working in the yeah. hospital in undoctored this is as suggested by the title this is when he's left the medical profession and he's, he's started on his life of comedy and writing books and stuff but you but do get these he, wonderful flashbacks wouldn't it be better to still be a doctor why go for all that training and then leave well that's interesting he does address that in this book he Basically, his father was a doctor and he was bred as a doctor. You know, he was pushed and pushed and pushed in that direction. And when when you're sort of reading his books, he's just, he's too sensitive. He obviously was a very good doctor, but he's just too human and sensitive. And this book is is absolutely fantastic. And I will say, if you get the 
audio book you get extra lockdown diary entries and you also get an interview with him with the richard reverend cole reverend richard cole even why um, was richard end. cole everywhere he was interviewing adam He's about everywhere <laughs> it literally is it's everything you could want in a book Adam is, I, I mean, I love, love, love Adam Kay. I love him. He's so down to earth. He's funny. He's witty. Do you want to work clever. for Adam Kay? I would happily work for Adam Kay. But in this book, he actually goes into some really deeply personal issues. And so much of it, I think a lot of people will relate to. I certainly relate to a lot of the issues. He's had an eating disorder. And it, it's quite difficult to listen to, actually, because it's so well done and it's so honest and it's just completely bare. I read that extras about him wanting to lose weight and he wanted to lose weight after someone just made a remark. Called him a big lad. Yeah. And it is, it's incredible. You don't one find thing, many men talking about that. No, you don't. And I think that's what's important about this book is you will laugh, but it's also it's also really touching and it's also really honest. And I think it's great for men because he talks about awful issues. He talks about his, his eating disorder, uh, which literally, if you've had an eating disorder, you will read it and go, I'm there with you. Every word of that chapter, I'm there with you. I get it. I really get it. And I'm sorry you went through that. What I took from this book is it was, it's an enjoyable book. It's a good read. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't put it down. I in fact I was torturing the press office for for a preview copy to review, not so much because I wanted to review it because I was desperate to read it and it didn't disappoint. And it made me feel we've all got awful lives, you know. You think, don't you? You've got you've got stuff going on, and it's only me. It's only me that's had this, or it's only me that's had that. Um. These sorts of books make you say, actually, it's not just me. He's had an awful time. All these yeah. horrible... He's had an ex- a stalker. He's had this and that. And so many of the things I could personally relate to, which was interesting to look at his experience of, of similar situations um, and stuff that I couldn't relate to, like that like being gay and, 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 you know, sort of having that experience of how people treated you, which I was appalled at absolutely appalled at so i think it reminds you we're all part of the human experience and even when you think this is happening to me and that's happened to me and it's only me and what did i do to deserve this it's not only us well i said that to you the other day i said oh you said oh i'm ill because i'm stressed i said i said nick we're all stressed no we are all stressed i'm stressed obviously it's relative to you you're allowed to have your own little pity party you're allowed to feel miserable because you're stressed it doesn't take away anyone else's experience well i think that brings us back to the queue to see the queen you did feel you were part of humanity and you met so many different people and it was just lovely to be connected in this sort of human snake in a very slow marathon yeah absolutely walking towards a common purpose so that was nice Every week, lots of you get in touch, telling me what you think about my life and my decisions. So I think it's only fair that you get to have your say here on the podcast too. If you'd like to get in touch, then go to lizjonesgoddess.com 
or tweet me at Liz Jones Goddess. So we've had, well, we've had, I had quite a lot of letters that I wrote about losing your mum last Sunday. You did, yeah. In, we had in the last Sunday. Because when you're watching and you're hearing the Queen has died, it reminds you, oh God, it reminds me of when my mum died. And, and I wrote about how the fact when the Queen met Liz Truss a few days before, I noticed the purple of her hands and I thought, yeah. oh, I know that purple, I know those hands, because it brings it all back, what happened yeah. to your mum. Yeah. And I had a lovely email, I had loads of emails actually, I had a lovely email from someone called Louise, and she said, good morning Liz, I've just read your tribute to the Queen and your mum, I want to congratulate you on a wonderful article which summed up the feeling of loss perfectly. I lost my mum in April, a few days after my birthday. I shared the same birthday as the Queen. It was a totally unexpected loss and it's shaken me to my core. Everything you said about your mother, there's not a daughter in the land with who those words will not resonate. Mum, her mum, also a royalist, would have been deeply upset about the Queen. So Louise's mum was 90 in January and like the Queen, we thought she would live forever. My mum used to wear six scarves and lovely hats, often reminding me of our sovereign. My grief and my family's grief is still raw, and with the passing of the Queen, some days are simply overwhelming. Thank you, Liz, for writing such a heartwarming tribute. Wasn't that lovely? Take the effort to write to me, especially now while she's going going through it, because it's obviously so raw. I've 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 got a lady I'm chatting to, and. Her mum has, has not got very long to live, and of course, with the Queen dying, it's brought it all home to her. She's, she, uh, you know, she's not watching it all because she, it's just too upsetting. So I think you know all the people that have got uh, funerals at the minute or have lost someone close. This is this is all very in their face, isn't yeah. it? It's it's all very upsetting because it's bringing up for people that have lost parents years ago, um, let alone now. So that's yeah. that's another aspect of it. A lot of people are going through what. Queen's family going through with yeah. them. And really, the piece last Sunday was really about we're not going to come across that generation of women no, again. No. And because they both lived through the Second World War and their husbands have both fought the Nazis, you know, yeah. I like to keep saying that. Yeah, your dad fought the Nazis. My dad fought the Nazis. They just had a completely different attitude yeah. To us, to other to generations that have come after them. I mean, like the Queen, my mum wasn't vain. She, you know, she never dyed her hair. No. You never saw the Queen with a portable cup of coffee, did you? No, my no. mum had never drunk no. a bottle from a bottle of water. My mum never no. drunk from a bottle of water. I think what struck me as well is watching all the footage recently. You know, sort of. I mean, I've been glued to it, absolutely glued to it. Um, she's just that glamorous film star type that that what we associate with the monarchy i mean for me the queen is all about that that she's beautiful she's glamorous her diamonds are glistening her dresses are beautiful and she delivered that the whole life she delivered that thing that you can look up to and go yeah. my god she's but i think she had a different type of beauty that wasn't about vanity i mean she never had a fake tan she never had filler put in her lips didn't wear false eyelash no. it was just Beautiful. Class. She was genuinely beautiful. Yeah. We've also got, um, we had a big response to your silent retreat piece. You wrote about going to a silent retreat for a week, which yeah, was... Yeah, that was in Female on Thursday. Yeah. 
We're going to put all the links in in, in we are. with the podcast. We are. We will put all the links up. And that that was look, we had a huge amount of of response to that. But Anne said, "I just wanted to say to Liz." Hey, you're going to be okay. I sense that the retreat may have helped Liz come very close to knowing, and I mean really knowing, rather than just understanding at an intellectual level, that when we ease up on life and the people around us, life and people ease up on us, and so we find peace. I thought that was really nice. And it will then attract all sorts of positivity, resonant good stuff into our lives. Yeah, I mean, that was the first time. You weren't just not talking they took your phones and your laptops off you. So it was the first time I wasn't on email. Um, you know, and I wrote in the piece that my average a day is what, 195 times, I check my email 195 times a day just on my phone. Yeah. And it's, I just think it's maybe more stupid because I used to be incredibly well read. I don't have the attention span no. anymore because you're always checking, 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 checking. The adrenaline spikes. I think I'm going to get bad yeah. news. So we were allowed books on the silent retreat. I read five books. Yeah. I read Tess of the D'Urbervilles. How hard was it for you to sort of not have your phone? Did you adjust quite Initially, quickly? I panicked. But when you know you can't have your phone... And all your little props that you use might be a glass of wine, it might be a reality TV, it might be looking at your emails, going through Twitter. I quite quickly got used to it. I was quite scared to go for a walk because I didn't have my phone. I thought I'd be lost. Yeah. And they gave me an alarm clock and I thought, how do you work alarm clocks? It's just like so antiquated. Is that? I haven't had an alarm clock since I've had my phone. I remember my yeah. nan having one. <laughs> But I did actually not want to leave and I made them let me stay an extra night. So now you're back, how do you take that into real life? Because obviously at Sharpham you're in this little tiny bubble and yeah. and, and you haven't got the distractions. You so have you to just it? be, and it may sound self-adjulgent to meditate and it's not laziness. You're just trying to be a nicer, calmer person, but also to have boundaries. No, I'm not doing that. That's your job. You do it. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm going to walk away. Yeah. Um, if you're asked to do something you don't want to do, just say, I'll come back to you on that next week. Don't answer your emails straight away. You can have apps on your phone that only allow you to see messages twice a day. So say at 11, say at 5. So they've given you plenty of tools to take plenty into of real tools life. tools to turn your phone off. Yeah. To shut your eyes and put your hand on the heart, on your yeah. heart. And actually meditating and putting yourself first is better for everyone around you. It's not that self-indulgent. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a bad word, is it? It's not a, it's not a dirty thing to do. It's, it, it, we don't have to be martyrs. We are allowed to take yeah. care of ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's the one good thing about the modern world is we've actually learned that it is important to take care of ourselves. I think the previous generations, it was all about being a martyr, wasn't it? it was all yeah, about... no, I think I inherited my martyrdom from my mum because she yeah. had seven children. She didn't have any appliances. She didn't have any help. She was in a great deal of pain. We'd all go to bed and she'd be up ironing. Yeah. She ironed flannels. She ironed tea towels, socks, pants. If it was still, my mum would iron it. 
Well, that's it from us this week. If you enjoyed listening to Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, why not visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. I'll be back next Sunday. But for now, I'm Liz Jones. And I'm Nick. Goodbye. Goodbye.